Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Amen. It's a beautiful Sunday morning as uh, we get to come together and worship the Lord. It's an awesome thing to be able to sing songs and praise the Lord and lift up our hands in one mind and in one accord to our Savior who has given so much to us. The Bible tells us in Acts that as they were gathered together in one mind and in one accord, the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost fell upon each and every one of them that was in that place. And I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is moving in this place. Amen. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is moving in this place because God is in this place. God is in this place. The Bible tells us thou art holy, O God, that inhabits the praises of his people. The word inhabit means to sit or to dwell or to settle. That means where there is a group of people who are worshiping God. Let me tell you that God sits there. God dwells there. That's where God is. And without a doubt, God is in this place. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, good morning. My name is Manolo. I'm one of the pillar pastors here at Dayspring Church. And uh, once again, I have the awesome opportunity and privilege to come before you and bring the word of the Lord, praise God. We are in our week four of our series, Things We Shouldn't Do. Amen. Things we shouldn't do. Now, I, I understand the struggle. I understand. You know, the John said, my little children, I exhort you not to sin, but if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. There are times that we do mess up. Amen. There are times where we mess up, or am I the only one? Praise God. The Apostle Paul says, you know, the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things that I do want to do, those are the things I don't do. Praise God. But the life of a Christian is not a life of defeat. It is a life of victory. God has given us the victory. Can I get an amen? That the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Praise God. So we are in a series called uh, uh, Things We Shouldn't Do. And we talked about if you want to be a better, stronger Christian, uh, then there are certain things that we don't engage in. Uh, we're looking at uh, these things that in order to become a better, a stronger, more mature Christian, there are certain things that we don't engage in. In our first week, uh, Pastor Angel talked about that uh, Christians don't easily get offended. Uh, Pastor Tony talked about don't mistreat others. In other words, Christians aren't mean. Uh, last week, we talked about don't stay discouraged. And today, we're going to talk about don't negotiate your faith. Praise God. When you walked in, you should have received an outline. If you didn't receive an outline, just raise your hands, and uh, my beautiful sister-in-law will gladly come to you and hand you an outline. So if you don't have an outline, just raise your hands. I want to welcome our visitors once again. Amen. Thank you. This is the best place. 
you've chosen to be on a Sunday morning. We also want to welcome those who are watching us online. Amen. Before we go into the word, what do you say? We go before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless. Heavenly Father, we come before your mighty and holy presence. We thank you, Lord, because we are able to be called yours. We thank you, Lord, because you've opened up the doors, Lord, to be called your sons and your daughters. And as we worship, Lord, your praises, Lord, we're uplifted to your throne. We ask, Lord, that your spirit, that your power descend upon this pulpit, Lord, and speak words, God. Anoint my lips of clay, God. Bless those who need to hear your word, God. That your word may come alive, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. There in your outline, 1 Kings chapter 21, uh, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard. In Jezreel, besides the palace of King Ahab of Samaria, one day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use it as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. Our passage introduces us to a man by the name of Naboth, whose name ironically means fruit. The Bible says that he lived just outside of Israel in Jezreel. And Naboth owned a vineyard that was situated besides the summer palace of Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, if you're familiar with Ahab, you'll know that the Bible says that Ahab was the worst or the most wicked king that Israel ever had. Not only was he the worst king or the most wicked king, but the Bible says that he married a pagan woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, ladies, don't ever name your children Jezebel. It's just associated with evil and wickedness. And in verse 2, it tells us that Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard, and he offered to trade him a better vineyard or to pay him cash for that land. Now, it seemed like a reasonable uh, offer on the surface. I mean, the king apparently was a gardener and wanted that patch uh, of ground close to the palace to raise for himself a, a vegetable garden, but the Bible says that Naboth refused the king's offer. He said, it's not for sale. Turn around to your neighbor and say, it's not for sale. It's not for sale. You know, Ahab is a type and a figure of the devil. When I was growing up, we used to say that when there was a demonic influence, we used to say they had the spirit of Ahab. Ahab is a type and a figure of the devil always wanting to take, always wanting to steal what the devil has stolen, always wanting to take what the devil has taken. Well, I believe this morning that we need to take back what the devil has stolen. I said, we need to take back what the devil has stolen. I didn't say ask for it. I said, we need to take back what the devil has stolen. The Bible tells us that he cometh to steal, kill, and to destroy but the Bible says that Jesus has come to give us life and that life in abundance. Can someone say amen? 
You know, the enemy wants everything glorious. Hell wants your integrity, your peace, your joy. You see, the devil is not threatened by your past, but by your future. And he knows that if he can take your joy, and if he can take your integrity, and if he can take your faith, you are, you are no longer a threat to hell. So I want to tell you this morning to hold on to what God has given you because you are truly a gift from God. You see, the enemy has no place in your life. The enemy has no place in your marriage. The enemy has no place in your home. The enemy has no place in your job. The enemy has no place in your life. The only place the enemy has is under our feet. That's why the Apostle Paul can tell us in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen? And when it comes to us with his plans, the devil and his ideas, we need to tell the enemy it's not for sale. It's not for sale. In other words, Christians don't negotiate their faith. Now, the Bible tells us here in the verse that Naboth refused because of the word of God. The king's request seemed reasonable enough. The Bible tells us that the king said, give me your field and I will give you a better field in return or I will pay you whatever you have in cash. Now, Naboth refused on the grounds that, that God had said that he couldn't sell that land. That's what God said in Leviticus chapter 25, that, that, that they couldn't sell the, their inheritance. In fact, the word of God was clear that, that the king could not buy Naboth's inheritance. It was clear in Ezekiel chapter 46 and 18. Now, Naboth is very interesting that Naboth was a descendant of Caleb. Now, you remember Caleb? Caleb was among those who were the 12 spies. Caleb, the Bible says, was an Israelite. He was a leader uh, known for following God wholeheartedly. And after he leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, the Bible tells us that God told Moses to send a leader from each tribe into Canaan to explore the promised land. And so the Bible says that Caleb, he's 40, uh, 40, 40 at the time, and he was chosen as a leader of the tribe of Judah to go on a reconnaissance mission. Eleven other men, including Joshua from the 11 tribes, joined him on this mission. And they took, the Bible says, 40 days to traverse the land. They were assessing the oil, the people, the groups, the city fortifications, and throughout the region before returning to the place where the Israelites had camped to give Moses a report. And the report came back, and they came back with grapes, and they said, yes, this land is fertile. Yes, this land is good. This land flows with milk and honey. Ten of them came back and said, no, Moses, we went into that land and there was giants in that land. There's no way that we can take that land. And Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, no, this land is our land. This land is our land. Why is it our land? Because God promised this land to us. You see, what I'm trying to say is that God is a covenant God. God is a promise keeper. He doesn't slack in his promises. He is a covenant God. And when you're struggling and you're going through a hard time, let me tell you that God is a promise keeper. He is a covenant God. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
He said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. I will give you rest. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. I will come back again so that where I am, you may be also. God is a promise keeper. Can someone say amen? He is a covenant God. The attitude of all these 12 spies saw the same land. They saw the same people. They had all the same instructions of Moses. They all came back with the, they all came from the same ethnic background and culture. They had all the experiences in history. So why the difference in attitude and outlook? Well, the difference was because of their confidence in God. You see, Joshua, Caleb, and Moses believed God, but the rest didn't believe that God would keep his promises. God is a gentleman, and he will keep his promises. He is not like us. Amen? He will keep his promises. You know, the ten are typical of so many Christians. They have the assurance of salvation. They know all the Christian doctrines. They know all the good things of Christianity, like the milk and the honey, but they are so overwhelmed with the dangers and the possibility of defeat, and they see the giants in the Christian lives. Their eyes are on the obstacles and not on God. Instead of, of seeing the blessings, they see the difficulties. Warren Worsby, in his book, wrote, Unbelief always sees the obstacles. Faith always sees the opportunities. And because of this, because the ten spies had more of an influence, the Bible says that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 more years. And after this, the Bible says that after they had entered that promised land, Joshua is dividing the land to the tribes of Israel. And when he is finished, Caleb comes to Joshua and he asks Joshua for a portion of the land. Only Caleb's request is not a portion of a flat land. Rather, it is a mountain. And on that mountain lies the walled city of Hebron. The Bible says that there were giants there in that land. And Joshua, and Caleb comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, give me that land. At this point in time of his life, Caleb is 80 years old. Caleb says, give me that mountain. And Joshua tells Caleb, what are you talking about? You're 80 years old. There's giants in that land. You're not going to be able to conquer it. And Joshua said, well, don't let my age fool you. And I tell you, don't let my age fool you because anybody who wants to play basketball with me are going to lose. Amen. I, I may have one leg and I may be 50, but I could still dunk on you. No, I can't. Caleb said, don't let my age fool you. The Lord is with me. And he told Joshua, give me that mountain so I could have it for an inheritance for my people. And the text says that Joshua gave Caleb his blessing. And the Bible says that Caleb took that mountain and it became an inheritance for his generations. And it's believed that this was the very land that Naboth possessed. Now Naboth realized that, 
What he possessed was not him to sell anyway. What he possessed was a gift of God, and he was merely the caretaker of that land. Naboth was to keep the land in the family and pass it down to generations, to generations. You see, what are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say that we need to take inventory of all the great gifts that the Lord has given us. Amen? The church, the Bible, the plan of salvation, our worship, our biblical standards, our godly inheritance. Now, we need to remember that these things are not ours to do as we please. We are merely custodians of these things. We are caretakers, and we must pass it down to the, to the next generation. Amen? When there's an opportunity to negotiate our faith, there is only one correct answer, and that is not for sale. You see, Naboth knew a divine law prohibited to sell the land. So Naboth chose to not negotiate. He said, it's not for sale. You see, strong Christians don't negotiate their faith. Strong Christians don't negotiate their faith. Nothing scares and, and, and poses a greater threat to the kingdom, to Satan's kingdom, than, than a Christian who has unmovable faith. Amen? The type of faith that gives you the ability to believe in God, amen, over your circumstances. The type of faith that just moves mountains. The type of faith that connects you with God. The type of faith that preserves you until the end. The type of faith that, that is greater than your crisis. I like what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. He said, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Amen? That's why Satan will try to negotiate your faith. He even tried it with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says that after Jesus had been baptized, the Bible says that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, why? Well, because Jesus was a human being, and, and, and Hebrews tells us that, that he knows what we go through. So the devil tried to negotiate with Jesus. He said, if you're the son of God, you see, the devil tries to put doubt in your life. He says, then, then turn, these stone, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, then jump from the temple. If you worship me, Satan said, then I will give you this kingdom. Satan tries to get us to negotiate our faith. But we need to say, Satan, it's not for sale. My faith is not for sale. My Bible is not for sale. My church is not for sale. My salvation is not for sale. It's not for sale, Satan, because Jesus has given it to me. And I will not negotiate my faith because it belongs to me from God. Can someone say amen? Praise God. Now at Christmas, amen, you get a gift. And some of you re-gift it, right? Anybody re-gift gifts? It doesn't work that way, my friend. 
We can't re-gift our salvation. No, we can't re-gift our salvation. We can't re-gift our faith. We can't re-gift our children. It belongs to us. God has given it to us, and it's precious. It's not for sale, Satan. I don't care what you offer me. I don't care what you give me. My faith is not negotiable. It is not for sale because God gave it to me. Can someone say amen? That's why, that's why Naboth refused to sell the land because it was an inheritance from God, praise God. It is precious, praise God. It is precious. You've heard people say, oh, they sold their, their lives or they sold their lives to the devil. I was reading the story of Katy Perry, how she once worshiped in church, how she once sang. She even made an album. Elvis Presley, they discovered him in church singing um, Amazing grace, but they sold their souls to the devil. They preferred the life of this world than the life to come. But we need to stand firm and say, Satan, I don't care what you give me. I don't care what you offer me. I don't care what you give me. It is not for sale because God has given it to me. Can someone say amen? Praise God. Satan will try to negotiate your faith as well. How does he do that? Well, he'll offer you the world. Satan tries to negotiate our faith as well. I mean, living, living your faith in secret as to not be the salt and the light. No. Pastor Tony reminded us the other day of a man who stood up and said, I thank the Lord because nobody at work knows that I'm a Christian. Question, does... Do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Oh, three. The rest of you don't work. <laughs> do, do, does your coworkers know that you're a believer? Or, or do you hide it? You're, you're, you're incognito. You're a Sunday morning Christian. Praise God. Or do they know, amen, that you're a believer? You know, Jesus Christ says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father. We are not to be secret Christians. We are to tell the world who we are, what we are, and what God has given us. Because it is precious, praise God, and it is not for sale. Can someone say amen? Valuing comfort above your devotion with God or excusing sin, making light of it. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. Now, when I was a kid, I used to tell my mom, and my mom used to say, and you probably heard this a thousand times, what she used to say, well, so-and-so, well, she said, well, if, if so-and-so jumps off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff as well? Probably. <laughs> no. It's nothing new. We excuse sin all the time. You remember Adam and Eve? Adam sinned and Adam and Eve sinned and Adam blamed the woman. And women, just to be fair, <laughs> God never spoke to the woman. That's right. He never spoke to her and said, hey, he did speak to Adam. So it was mostly Adam's fault. So you're off the hook. But Adam... And said, hey, I sinned because of the woman. He was blaming someone else. Remember the children of Israel, they're in the wilderness. They made this golden calf. And Aaron said, no, it's not my fault, God. 
It's the people. Remember Saul? Trying to excuse his sin and blaming, blaming Samuel? Don't excuse your sin. Conforming to the times instead of being transformed. The Bible says that, 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 that we need to be conformed to God. Conformed to his standards. Obtaining material things at the, at the price of spiritual. In other words, he will use persecution, isolation, materialism, confusion, seduction, pain, and comfort to get you to negotiate your faith. But you need to tell the enemy, it's not for sale. And you shouted, it's not for sale. It's not for sale, praise God. My faith is not negotiable. It's not for sale, Satan, because God has given it to me. You know, last year, we got a, we got a huge tax bill. And I don't know if I should tell you. Because <laughs> you might think I'm rich. I'm not. We got this huge tax bill. Thousands of dollars. And our, uh, our tax uh, preparer, she said, well, you know, there's something that you can do. You know, you can, um, there's a lady that we know that, that if you'd like, you know, we could put her down on those taxes and you don't have to pay them. There's another thing. Don't cheat on your taxes. You don't have 10 kids. Amen. You don't. But she said, well, if you put those kids down, we can bring that tax bill down. You know what? I thought about it. I really did. You know, last year my son needed braces, and, and we, were, we were at this party, and this, this lady said, well, my, my wife was asking around, hey, how much did the braces cost? Because even with the braces, they were thousands of dollars. You wouldn't start insurance. And she said, oh, don't worry. Just put down that you make so-and-so, and, and Medi-Cal will take care of it. It's like, no. We, would, we didn't want to lie. We chose to live out our faith and honor God, which meant that we had to pay the thousands of dollars. You know, we will also have opportunities to compromise our obedience to God, to sell our testimony. What will you do when that happens? Well, there in your outline, to not negotiate your faith, and you can write this down, appreciate its worth. Appreciate its worth. Look at what Peter says about our faith. He says, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave of the apostle Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who this let, who share the same precious what? Faith we have. And the word precious means valuable. It means a great price. It means costly. In other words, our faith is worth a great price because it cost a great price. You weren't bought at the swap meet. You weren't bought at La Vallarta. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are precious to Jesus Christ. And it cost him his life. Amen. Praise God. It's of infinite value because it was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you know the worth of your faith, you won't sell it. You know, I like to collect watches. My wife has, my wife knows, I have a box of watches. I have, I have a, 
1960 Omega. I have a, an 80 Rolex, and I don't wear it because, you know, you hear the news. It's jumping people for their Rolex watches. <laughs> I have all these watches, but I like to wear my iWatch because it's so convenient and it's great. I can do everything with it. But I like to collect watches. I have, I think, over, I don't know, my wife will tell you. 15, 20 watches out there. You know, on one occasion, my wife and I, we, we like to go to the swap. We like collecting junk. <laughs> That's what we do. We, we look around for the, for the good stuff. You know, and, it, and if you go to my house, you go to my house, you'll, you'll see that all the junk that I've collected. <laughs> Just good stuff. And on one occasion, we went to the swap meet, and, and um, we were looking through this. This man was selling junk, and... I was looking through it, you know, seeing what I could find. And in that junk, I, I, I saw a Bell and Ross watch. And I, I have a magnifying glass. I took my magnifying glass, and I saw it, it was crystal. And, man, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I don't know if this is real. It, it looked real. And, and I asked the guy, I said, how much do you want for it? He says, well, give me 10 bucks. Oh, man. You know, the, the Christian just jumped off the cross, like, I was going to tell him, well, it's, it's worth more than that. But, you know, I, I, I didn't. He says, well, give me 10 bucks. I automatically gave, pulled out the 20. I said, here, here's a tip. And I gave him the 10, 20 bucks. And so I, I took it home, and I, because I, I, I couldn't open it, I took it to a jeweler, and he opened it, and he said, yeah, it's true. He cleaned it up for $200. And I said, well, how much can I get for it? He says, well, you know, in this condition, you can get about... $3,400 for it. Yeah. I went back this next Sunday and I gave him another $10. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> so you better believe I bought it. I, I have it in my box somewhere because we remodeled our house. And my wife put all my watches somewhere. But when you know the worth of something, you'll hold on to it. Can I get an Amen. When you know the worth of something, you'll hold on to it. Praise God. Amen. You know, in 2006, a man in Bellings, Michigan, uh, robbed a bank, stealing $6,000. But the interesting part about this story is that when they arrested him, they took him to jail. And they discovered that he used a 1918 Colt revolver to commit the crime. Now, anyone who knows anything about guns already understands the point of the story. Brother Bart probably already understands what I'm going to say. This gun was valued at more than $100,000. Yet this man robbed the bank for only $6,000. You know, he could have simply sold the gun and walked away with more than 10 times what he got in the robbery. But he didn't sell the gun because he didn't know the worth. He didn't know what he held in his hands. You see, what I'm trying to say is similarly. If you've ever discovered all that you have in your relationship with God and your faith and your walk with him, you'll understand that you don't have to settle for cheap substitutes. Rather, if you just look at the value of what you have 
in God and in faith and how it could bring greater good for God's glory that you will experience the fullness of God and his promises will be made manifest in your life. So when you negotiate your faith, always get, when you negotiate your faith, you'll always get something less in return. It might look better on the other side, but it will be less of a value. Amen? So, second, to not negotiate your faith, appreciate its worth. Appreciate its worth. Second, to not negotiate your faith, recognize its essentialness. You can write that down, essentialness. You know, there are some things that are just essential. And some of you, you know, your, your, your phone is like your third hand, right? It's like your third hand, you know, sometimes, well, I won't say it. <laughs> But it's like you can't live without it, right? So recognize that your faith is essential. Faith, not only having great worth, it's essential. It's necessary. And we can't live without it. Now, how essential is this? Well, I'm going to go really fast here. It's how we're saved. Write that down. For the Bible says, for by grace... You have been saved through what? Through faith. It's how we are made right with God. The Bible says, but the righteous shall live by what? By faith. In other words, the man right with God will live by faith. It's how we please God. You can write this down. Look at what Hebrews eleven sixteen 16 says. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the fuel for the Christian life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, for we live by faith and not by sight. It's how we obtain the promises, the power and the promises of God. You can write that down. Jesus replied, anything is possible for someone who has what? Faith. It's how we stay hopeful, and you can write that down. God promised Abraham a lot of descendants. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. And when it all seemed hopeless, Abraham still had faith in God. It's how we defend against the enemy. Ephesians 6, 16. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of what? Faith, in which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Isaiah 7, 19. It's how we stand firm. It says, if you do not stand firm in your what? In your faith, you will not stand at all. You see, when you negotiate your faith, you give up all of this. So don't do it. So third, I'm finishing with this. To not negotiate your faith, have in mind, and you can write this down, it's reward. 
its reward. Mark, if you can play something. You know, uh, Nestor and I, we, we ran the marathon last, last year. And uh, if you've ever run the marathon, you know that it hurts. It's painful. It's tiring. You want to give up. You have no strength. And I've ran it, oh, eight times now. And there's something that they warn you about, and that's the wall. 20 miles into the, the run, I, I, I remember my first marathon, I, I ran into that wall. And I thought, man, I'm not going to make it. So you begin to negotiate. And I thought, I, I'm not going to make it. I, I can't believe I, I got into this. And, and I remember at the 20th mile, I, I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm going to, if I have to, I'm going to crawl to the finish. But I'm going to finish this race. I've come too far not to finish. And I tell you the truth, my friend. We've come too far not to finish this race. We've come too far not to finish this race. We've come too far just to give up. We've come too far. You know, when I was running the marathon, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, I was negotiating, and I was saying, maybe I should give up. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should just throw in the towel. But then I thought, no, I'm only six miles away. No way I can give up now. You know what I was looking forward to? I was looking forward to that medal, to that reward. I was looking forward to seeing my wife. And so this is what exactly what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, they do it to win the prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. You know, there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. It says, so do not throw away this confidence. Trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Remember that great reward. You know, the Bible speaks, and I'm finishing with this, of rewards in heaven. It speaks of crowns. It speaks of crowns of glory, crowns of life, of righteousness, of rejoicing a victory. But the greatest reward that we will receive is God himself. That is the greatest reward that we will see. When we get to glory, we will bow down before the king and we will see him as he is. As Job says, these eyes, if not others, will see the glory of God. That is our reward. Our reward. And there's absolutely nothing greater than that reward of seeing God. So what am I trying to say? Don't abandon your faith. Don't sell it. Don't negotiate. Don't compromise with it. Go. Walk. Seek. Run. 
because your reward in heaven is great. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.